Breathe upon us, breath of God. Fill us with life anew that we may go forth in this place, in the life, to be filled with your love. Amen. Please. Over and over again since I have been here these last couple of months, and I am sure for decades before, people have come to Trinity Cathedral and to our chapel and have been captivated by the beauty. Just look around. Look at, the, look at this. I mean, oh my goodness, look at this. Is this awesome? Awesome. Yes, yes. Thank you, whoever did this. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, Liz, wherever you are, thank you. This beautiful space, our beautiful space, comments that I've heard, it's so gorgeous with the beautiful stained glass windows. If you've not taken time to look at them here and in the chapel, please do so. That dark wooden structure is very appealing. And this is my favorite comment. It has such a warm, welcoming feeling. Yes, yes. There is a certain amount of admiration that has developed over time for this marvelous cathedral and our chapel. It's that kind of esteem that the disciples are expressing about the temple in Jerusalem as Jesus takes them on a tour. Being present in the temple's beauty was an awesome experience. Not only was it exquisite in decor, it was for all Jews the holiest place on earth. It was where God, where Yahweh resided. To be within its walls would have been a humbling encounter. So the disciples are talking among themselves about the beautiful stones and the gifts that have been given and dedicated to God in the temple. When Jesus breaks into their reverie and their adoration with a startling comment, as for these things you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. In other words, take a good look. Because there's going to come a time when you're not going to see this beauty any longer. His words had to have been a shock to the group. And of course, like most of us, what do they say? We want to know when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And Jesus does he give him a quick answer? No, never does, does he? Jesus goes on to tell them about wars and insurrections, about natural disasters, about betrayals and persecutions. And he also tells them that they will be given words and wisdom that they will need to stand firm in their faith. It seems to me that at some level, Jesus is saying to this group of followers, pay attention. Pay attention to that which you follow. Pay attention to that which you worship. If your temple is gone, 
the place where you have believed for centuries is the residence of God, if you're in a constant battle with those around you and the world in general is in upheaval, what's left? And then Jesus goes on to say, so make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. Now, that's a hard verse for me because I want to prepare for everything. I want to be ready. Don't act as though you've got it all figured out. You've got it all together. Jesus says, I will give you words. I will give you wisdom that not one of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. It will be Jesus. It will be Jesus who will provide whatever is needed to withstand whatever obstacles are presented. Jesus knew that there was going to be a long-term persecution following his death and resurrection. He knew that his followers needed reassurance. Jesus knew that the human nature of his disciples, and he knew that they could be distracted by their own needs and the challenges of the world around them. I read something interesting the other day written by theologian Paul Tillich. And I want to share it with you because it cut at my heart. He said that there are three fundamental things that we human beings crave. Security, certainty, and perfection. It is completely human, he says, and natural to desire these things. But to demand them and to think you can control them and actually somehow construct them by your own doing is demonic. (laughs) In the end, this is, it doesn't get any better. In the end, where this road leads is to a Hitler and to other false prophets and false prophecies. Remember, I'm the messenger. (laughs) I'm just the messenger. (laughs) He goes on to say, till it goes on to say, it seems as if so much of our time is spent, however, constructing various temples built upon the notion that we can manufacture our security through a likable personality via a high-tech education or by investing in the right mutual funds. That we can reach certainty through gated communities, low-fat foods, high-impact aerobics, and the right multiple vitamin. He goes on to say that we can reach perfection through working the steps or taking enough family vacations or marrying the right person or carpooling to work or single-mindedly pursuing it to the top, wherever the top may be. End quote. I recognize myself in parts of that description. And maybe you do too. Perhaps that's what was so appealing to the disciples about the temple. It gave them the feeling of all three of those characteristics that Tillich described. I want security. I want certainty. I want 
perfection. But what happens when disaster strikes, when my security is threatened, when what I believe in is challenged, and when perfection is flawed? What then? Jesus says that he will be there for us, for you and I, that the Holy Spirit will surround us, reassuring us of hope in God's grace when disaster strikes in our lives, to whom will we turn? Where is the source of our strength when all seems lost? One of my most poignant godly moments came in an event I witnessed that Jesus stands with me in the midst of crippling pain. It was February 19th, 1981, the day before we were to bury our infant daughter. Our son Jason, who was six at the time, had kept insisting that he wanted to see his sissy. And so Tom and I finally agreed that we would take him to the funeral home to see her small body lying in a casket not much bigger than a large shoebox. We arrived at the mortuary, and the staff who we had known from, from St. Bartholomew's in Beaverton, where we were members, met us and ushered us into a private room. I have no words to express the rage that shattered my psyche. But trying to stay focused on the task before us, I took Jason by the hand and we walked into the room. We had explained to him what he would see, a little baby who looked like she was asleep. As we stepped across the threshold, Jason let go of my hand and ran to the casket, and I could not move to stop him, nor could I move to go to his side. I stood numbly and watched as he got up on his tiptoes to peek inside. Breathless, I waited to see what would happen. And as the moments of silence passed, I began to sense a presence in the room, not something tactile, but an awareness of light, of brightness, a glow in that room. Jason turned back to us with a smile on his face. And he said, See, Mommy, Teresa has bright new clothes. Jesus comes. Jesus comes and brings us hope. The light of Christ clothes us with the assurance of God's presence. Jesus lives in us to show us new life and the light in the midst of all of our darknesses. Jesus teaches us how to love. 
It is God's power that provides the endurance we need to find peace in the midst of chaos and destruction and death. I believe that Jesus, through the metaphor of the temple, is trying to help his disciples understand wherein their hope is to lie, that it isn't in a building as beautiful as that was, but that it was in God the one who made heaven and earth, in God who stood before them incarnate, in Jesus, in God, whose spirit would dwell with them long after Jesus was gone. And so the question is, where would their faith be when the temple stands no longer? It makes me wonder, what would happen if our beautiful cathedral and chapel were to be destroyed? Who would we be? Where does our faith reside? In a building of wood and brick? If these buildings were to collapse under the weight of time, what difference would that make to our faith? If the cathedral was for some reason no longer standing, how would our faith in Jesus Christ continue to be made manifest? Well, I would suggest very much like what's going on right now in this congregation. Day in and day out, within these walls and out on those streets, the love of Christ is being made known. We are so fortunate to have buildings that provide worship environments for our community. Let us remember, however, that they are only containers for our worship. They are not that which unto itself should be worshipped. If we had no buildings... How would the world know that we are believers in Christ? Yesterday at Ann Schneider's um, memorial service, her daughters presented some lovely remembrances of her. And one of the ones that captivated my heart was they talked about living your values out loud. You see, my brothers and sisters, that's what's happening here. Within you and out in the streets, you're living your faith out loud. Because Jesus has touched your life. And the love of Christ is transforming you. And if these buildings were not here, I suspect that the love of Christ would still shine. Here and out there and out there and out there. There's a song that, um, if you've been to Crucio, has a refrain. They'll know we are Christians by our love. That's what the hospitality is all about. Jesus Christ shining through. Yes, it will be love that will carry us through. It will be God's love for us that will be our testimony to the world. It will be the light of Christ in our lives that will shine forth no matter where we are or in what space we may find ourselves. God's love empowers us to endure to the end whatever disasters may befall us. Our reliance on God requires an ongoing connection and commitment. And when our lives feel really out of control, it is God's grace that we can turn to again and again 
and again. As we pray and sing and serve and teach and listen, in these wonderful spaces we call Trinity, may we always be reminded from whence our help comes. It comes from the Lord. In the name of God, our Creator and Redeemer and Sustainer, Amen.